Have you ever noticed that the lower jaw is not protected in sports? Did you know that 10,800 concussions will happen today? This has been an upward trend for the past 50 years. I'm Dr. Michael Hutchison, a practicing neuromuscular dentist. When my son wanted to participate in football and rugby, I was afraid he was going to get a concussion. That fear led me to finding the missing link to reducing concussions. The fact is, the only part of the skull that is not protected in sports is the lower jaw. If you want to drastically reduce concussions, there are three basic jaw positions that affect concussions and two of them are not good. The correct one is called physiologic jaw position. It will dissipate the force away from the brain. Knowing that, I designed an appliance that put my son's jaw in the right place and as a result, he was concussion-free from fifth grade all the way to senior year. This jaw position takes those 10,800 concussions today down to 28. It's the key to concussion protection. As a parent, this is what you need to know. It's extremely important that the device you are using is on the lower jaw. Thickness of the device is important. Most importantly, it must position and hold you in your own unique personal physiologic jaw position. So if your child goes out on the field with the correct jaw position, your son or daughter will not one of those 10,800 concussions today. Get yours today at powerplusmouthguard.com. Use the promo code POWERUP2023 for 10% off. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. This story was written and produced by your host, Ross Bliley, edited by Nikki Bliley. You can follow me on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find the podcast on multiple music streaming providers, including Spotify, Amazon Music, and Audible. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, subscribe to the show on the Sports History Network. As a conversation starter, you can email me questions or leave feedback of the show at pigskintailspodcast at gmail.com. The soundtrack is provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. Before we get into the story, I have to mention newspapers.com. I use it for my research and I love it because it gives me so much interesting information I would never found otherwise. If you visit SportsHistoryNetwork.com, we offer a free one-week subscription as a trial. With a paid subscription, you'll be supporting the production of this podcast as well as the other shows. Once again, thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales Podcast. Last time on the Pigskin Tales podcast, I told you about the 1932 and 33 NFL championships that Bronk and Grange helped the Bears win. Plus, Bronk decided to retire from the NFL in 1937 to focus on wrestling professionally. Then, after six years, Papa Bear Hallis asked Bronk to come back for one more season in 1943 because World War II was happening and most of the players went overseas to help out. Bronk decided to help out Papa Bear and Chicago ended up winning the 1943 NFL Championship against the Washington Redskins. At that time, Nagurski played on the offensive and defensive line, but in the championship game, he did score a touchdown to help seal the win. 
This time on the Pigskin Tales podcast, former players talk about how Nagurski's toughness propelled him into the Hall of Fame and what it was like trying to tackle him. Plus, Nagurski's legacy outlives his playing days in the league by honoring the next players in the NFL with a special trophy. This is Pigskin Tales. After winning two NFL championships with the Bears in 1932 and 33, Bronk continued to play football for the Bears and wrestle in the offseason. Over the next four seasons, those that lined up against him feared him. According to Ben Donahue's story of Nagurski, Mel Hine of the New York Giants recalled in an interview that most players had no clue on how to stop Nagurski. He said, quote, If you went at him low, he would stomp you to death. If you went at him high, he just knocked you down and ran over you. Tackling Nagurski was like getting an electric shock, said Grange. NFL opponents rarely had a way to stop Nagurski. In one game against the Giants, head coach Steve Owen used five defensive linemen to attempt to stop Brock. After the game, Owen was interviewed by the press and was asked how the deploying of five defensive linemen worked against stopping Nagurski. He said, Two things happened that we didn't count on. One, Nagurski gained eight yards. Two, the linebacker had to be carted off the field. Donahue writes that in a des- desperate attempt, various opponents simply tried rolling at Nagurski's legs to trip him. Before the 1984 Super Bowl, Bronk was interviewed by the press and mentioned that Hallis liked to stockpile backs and believed in spreading it around. Quote, Plus, he wanted to keep me fresh for defense, where I'd put in a full afternoon, unquote, explained Nagurski. Stats pulled from ProFootballReference.com show that Nagurski averaged less than 10 carries a game that season. In 1934, Bronk rushed for a career high of 586 yards and 7 touchdowns. On the season, the team was a perfect 13-0, including an 18-game win streak that extended from the season before. Heading into the championship game with the New York Giants, who were 8-5 and lost to the Bears earlier in the season, the Bears were a heavy favorite to become back-to-back NFL champs. The weather had different ideas for the game, though. According to the Pro Football Hall of Fame website, the historic championship game is dubbed, quote, the sneakers game, unquote. Although some folklore became legend about the specifics of what unfolded, the truth is that the use of borrowed basketball shoes played a major role in deciding the game's winner. Still going off of the Pro Football Hall of Fame website, a few hours before the game, 
The Giants team treasurer John Mara strolled across the polo grounds turf and observed a frozen icy surface. He quickly alerted head coach Steve Owen and the team captain Ray Flaherty about the field's condition. Flaherty recounted a game at Gonzaga College in which he and his teammates swapped out their cleats for basketball shoes for better traction. A plan was put in motion. A locker room attendant by the name of Abe Cohen was sent on an errand to nearby Manhattan College to retrieve sneakers worn by the school's basketball team. Much of the lore centered on Cohen's mission. The tale grew to indicate Cohen made the journey after kickoff and had to forcibly break his way through a door to get into the equipment room at the school before making a mad dash back to the stadium. Closer to the truth is that the Giants trainer Gus Mauck, who also worked at Manhattan College, had arranged the loan and Cohen had the sneakers ready and waiting in the Giants locker room, if not by the start of the game, soon thereafter. The team struggled to gain footing on the slick field as the Bears built a 13-3 halftime lead. That is when Owen put their secret weapon into play. Since there weren't enough pairs of shoes to outfit the entire team, Owen ordered sneakers to be used by his ends and backfield men. The sneakers worked as expected. The Giants gained traction on the field and swiftly took command of the game against their disadvantaged opponents who tried their best to stop the Giants from ruining what could have been a perfect season. New York, aided by four touchdowns in the fourth quarter, downed the Bears 30-13 to to win the NFL title. Following the game, Cohen promptly returned the sneakers to Manhattan College so the basketball team could practice the next day. Let's take a quick break here and listen to one of our special ads. Hey, I got a couple questions for you. Do you like board games? Do you like sim games? If you answered yeah to both questions, then you're in luck. Play Classic has you covered. Who? Play Classic. It's spelled with two A's. P-L-A-A-Y. Oh, got it. Play Classic Games, the sponsor of this podcast, offers board gamers who love sports the chance to own something unique. Play Classic has realistic simulation board games in hockey, golf, football, baseball, and so much more. Coming soon, basketball. When you shop today at sportshistorynetwork.com backslash play, you'll get 10% off your first buy. Just make sure you use the promo code SHN. And while you're on the Sports History Network, be sure to check out all of our podcasts. Soundtrack provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. And we're back. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. During the 1935 season, Bronk injured his neck on a stupid block, according to him, that kept him on the sideline for most of the season. 
He was asked about his injury in an interview and he said, quote, I threw a crossbody block on an end, stupid block, and I plowed into his knees with the small of my back, unquote. Without Bronk, the Bears' record was 6-4-2 and, and did not make the postseason. In the 1936 season, Nagurski was ready to make the most of his missed opportunities from the season before and help the team get back to their winning ways. He rushed for 529 yards and three scores, but it wasn't enough for the team to make the postseason with a record of 9-3. and three. By 1937, Nagurski was getting more involved with pro wrestling. He won his first World Wrestling Championship against a former football player whom Nagurski knew very well. He pinned Dean Dutton to secure the belt. Back in the NFL, he helped the Bears to a 9-1-1 record and get back to the championship game. This time, they played the Washington Redskins. Sammy Baugh was a rookie quarterback and threw for two fourth-quarter touchdowns to take down the favorite Bears 28-21. After the season, Bronk went to Hallis and asked him for a raise because he was struggling to raise his newborn daughter and make ends meet due to the economic downturn in the United States. After talking about it with his wife, he decided to ask Hallis for a salary raise of 6000 a season. Hallis said that he actually couldn't afford it. So, with that simple no, Nagurski decided to pursue wrestling full-time. He continued to wrestle on the pro circuit until 1960. Six years after he hung up his cleats from pro football, World War II had begun and a lot of Chicago Bears players went to go fight the good fight. As you know, the United States won the war in the end. With those players leaving for battle overseas, Hallis actually went to Nagurski and asked him to rejoin the team for just one more season. Hallis knew that Bronk was not the same guy as he once was, but he could still play tackle and run the pigskin a few times a game. Nagurski talked about it with his wife and daughter about the offer, and with their blessing, decided to help out his old coach just one more time. So in 1943, Bronk got his cleats and his old jersey back, and he rushed for 84 yards and one score. He mostly played tackle, but that didn't stop him from flattening offensive and defensive linemen. The Bears made the postseason with a record of eight wins, one loss, and one tie, and played in the NFL Championship against the Washington Redskins for the second time. Nagurski's one and only touchdown of the season helped push the Bears past the Redskins for their third NFL Championship in franchise history. The 20-point win helped Nagurski solidify his legacy into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Following the 1943 season, Nagurski said goodbye to pro football for the second time, this time making it permanent. He kept wrestling and ended up winning three National Wrestling Association titles. By 1963, he was selected to the first class of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, 
a three-time NFL champion, and a five-time All-NFL First Team roster member. According to Donahue, after his wrestling days, he went back to International Falls and opened up a gas station. There's a local legend in the area that Nagurski used to have the best repeat business in the area. As the story goes, apparently he used to provide great customer service by filling up customers' gas tanks, and when he was done, he would screw the cap on so tight that only he could unscrew it. Dang, man, I could not imagine that. That'd be cool as heck to uh, actually have that happen, but really kind of what a pain in the butt that would be because then you got to go back to the gas station just so the gas attendant could unscrew the gas cap. That's crazy. The conclusion of this great story is that the Nagurski family had six children. The first son, nicknamed Junior, followed in Dad's footsteps. He played for the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL. Bronco's legacy in the NFL has long outlived his presence in the league. He has an award dedicated to his toughness and tenacity, as well as willingness to put it all on the line. Since 1993, there have been 28 winners, but only one has actually won it twice in a row. Most of those that have won the award, you know them in the league now. But there are some that you haven't heard of. But I'm going to leave that for you to research and figure out. Bronk passed away from a heart attack on January 7, 1990. He was 81 years old. Here's Jim Dent author of the Monster of the Midway book, talking about the real value of Bronco Nagurski in the NFL. You have to remember him as a guy who brought a lot of attention to the NFL, who won three championships, who came back after six years. Think about that. Nobody today could come back after six years and lead his team to a championship. And I think that's the real value of Bronco Nagurski. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. This story was written and produced by your host, Ross Bliley, edited by Nikki Bliley. You can follow me on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find the podcast on multiple streaming providers such as Spotify, Amazon Music, and Audible. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, subscribe to the show on the Sports History Network. As a conversation starter, you can email me questions or leave feedback of the show at pigskintailspodcast at gmail.com. The soundtrack is provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. Once again, thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales Podcast. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. 
Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.